Hi, everybody. Welcome to Pick 6 Movies. That's right, you have found yourself at a podcast featuring myself, Bo Ransdell, and one of my oldest and best pals, Chad Cooper. And what we're going to do is we're going to tell you a little bit of a story about a movie, and then we're going to goof on it for a little while. That's pretty much our setup. And we have made it, somehow, all the way to Season 7, if you can believe that. This season is entitled Game On in which Chad and I are going to be looking at six different movies inspired by or related to the world of video games. Yes, that thing that we are constantly explaining to our significant others is a worthwhile investment of time will be the subject of the next six movies. You know, folks, they tell you never to start with a showstopper, but that ain't our style here on Pick 6 Movies. The first episode out of the gate, Lara Croft, Tomb Raider. That's right, the video game lady, what horned up a bunch of kids starting in 1996, made her way to the big screen and horned up a bunch of kids. But hey, I don't want to spoil anything for you. I'm just glad you're here. Settle back and get ready for 2001's Lara Croft Tomb Raider. Women in video games historically have been portrayed as smart, strong-willed, independent characters with the ability to lead people of all genders and in no way objectified or relegated to secondary roles, said no one in the history of ever. And speaking of history, Sherman, set the Wayback Machine to 1981. We're going to where women were first introduced into the world of video games. In 1981, video game makers introduced what is considered to be by some the first female-themed video game ever. Ladybug. This was an insect-themed game very similar to the gameplay of the wildly popular Pac-Man. You may not remember Ladybug too much because one year later, somebody over with Midway Games slapped a pink bow and some lipstick on Pac-Man and created the grand dom of female video game characters, Ms. Pac-Man. The boxing marsupial-themed video game Kangaroo appeared in arcades as well, introducing the first female character that was also a mother. In this game, the main character was looking for her kidnapped baby, so that's fun. In 1984, Nintendo took over pretty much every TV in the United States with the Nintendo Entertainment System, introducing one of the most popular games of all time, Super Mario Bros. In this game, we were introduced to the elusive Princess Peach, but she was more of an objectified character always in another castle waiting to be saved. It wasn't until 1986 that Nintendo introduced the first mainstream home console game to have a female character in the lead role. This came in the game Metroid, but players only found out that the main character was a female if you beat the game, so surprise, you were a girl the whole time. At the time, there was growing research that women would relate more to playing characters that were more like them. You know, women. But game developers faced pressure not to include female characters in some games as to avoid controversy involving men beating up women. Go figure. The makers of a video game titled Final Fight noted in the video game manual that the female opponent, Poison, was not actually a woman, but was a transvestite. So, you know, feel free to beat up this transgender character without feeling any guilt or shame. And for the most part, women in video games have been, and often continue to be, the villains, the sidekicks, the overly sexualized objects of desire, or in some combination, heck, all three. But in 1996, Toby Gard created one of the most popular female playable video game characters in the history of playable female video game characters. She was smart, sexy, rough, rugged. I'm speaking, of course, about the one, the only, 
Lara Cruz, whose name was later changed to Lara Croft because they changed her origin story to make her from the UK and not from South America as she was originally conceived. Lara Croft was created to take on the negative stereotypes of female characters that had dominated the industry for years. She wasn't a woman waiting to be rescued or the evil temptress. No, she was an independent badass who was just as capable as any male character in the world of video games, who also happened to wear tight short shorts and had giant breasts. Lara Croft was an instant iconic success, headlining the series of Tomb Raider video games early gameplay of the Tomb Raider series during the 16-bit gaming era will differ from successful male video games such as Super Mario Brothers and Sonic the Hedgehog because it had a greater focus on puzzle solving over gunfights and hand-to-hand -hand battle. The game got a sequel in each of the next four years, with Tomb Raider 2 in 1997, huh, that's clever, Tomb Raider 3, Adventures of Lara Croft in 1998, huh, that's even more clever. Followed by Tomb Raider, The Last Revelation, and Tomb Raider Chronicles arriving in 99 and the year 2000, respectively. As consoles evolved, Lara Croft was reinvented each time to improve graphically. Then after a three-year gap, Lara Croft returned on the PlayStation 2 video game system in Tomb Raider, The Angel of Darkness. There was a remake of the original games for the next generation of consoles, a feat repeated on the PlayStation 3 system in 2011 when the Tomb Raider trilogy was re-re-released. There was a reboot of the series titled Tomb Raider that came out worldwide in 2013 for PC, PlayStation 3, and Xbox 360. This spawned the sequel, Rise of Tomb Raider, which was released in 2015 on the Xbox 360 and Xbox One. This game wasn't exclusive for the Microsoft Xbox consoles, but versions of this game eventually came out for the PlayStation 4 and Microsoft Windows in 2016, so, so much for exclusivity, Xbox. In 2018, Shadow of the Tomb Raider was released as the third and final game in this rebooted origin story of Lara Croft, and throughout all of these versions of Lara Croft, there were two things that remained constant. Get your mind out of the gutter. Number one, her independent strong-willed desire for action and adventure, and number two, gamers love Lara Croft. When it came to taking Lara Croft from the small television screens of video games to the big screens of feature films, that was an adventure and a journey in and of itself. Movies inspired by video games had shown varying levels of quality and success throughout the 1980s and 1990s. For every War Games or The Last Starfighter, you had yourself a Super Mario Brothers or Double Dragon. In 1995, Paul Anderson took the wildly successful arcade fighting game Mortal Kombat and he scored a surprise hit with audiences. Video games are unique in that they have a ready-made audience of young males, a target demographic for the movie-making machine. Logic dictates that if they like that game, then they will come and see this movie. It worked in reverse when a popular movie was turned into a profitable video game. Filmmakers just needed to flip the script, in a manner of speaking. And when it came to popular video game characters ripe for the transition to the silver screen, it didn't get any more perfect than Lara Croft and Tomb Raider. She was part Indiana Jones, part James Bond, super sexy, aristocrat, supermodel, archaeologist, sharpshooting, astrophysicist, all around every woman. Author David Hughes provides a brilliant overview of how Lara Croft made her way to the big screen in his book, Tales from Development Hell. It's a great book. I can't recommend you read it enough. I'm just going to give you some highlights, but you really should seek it out if you want a detailed breakdown of how Lara Croft Tomb Raider made its way to the big screen. 
talks of a Tomb Raider movie began as early as 1997. And at that time, Elizabeth Hurley was being eyed to play the lead role, as was America's sweetheart Sandra Bullock, Bo's not-so-secret secret girlfriend Catherine Zeta-Jones, Anna Nicole Smith, oh god, if only that movie had been made, Jennifer Lopez, Demi Moore, the list goes on and on. And early on, there was discussion of the movie being produced possibly as an animated film based on the success of Pixar's wildly successful Toy Story. But once Paramount Pictures got the rights, it was confirmed that it would be a live-action motion picture in partnership with the game's parent company, Eidos Interactive. Lawrence Gordon and Lloyd Levin, the super producers who had made both of the 48 Hours movies, two Die Hard movies, they had made a couple of Predator films, well, they were going to bring Lara Croft to the big screen. And they fast-tracked the film with the help of Brent Friedman, who had penned the screenplay for the video game sequel, Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Oh boy. Friedman's first draft of the movie found Lara Croft as a 16-year-old gymnast and straight-A student, nerd, whose overactive imagination leads her to adventures in Tibet where her mother and father are killed after a plane crash. In this script, basically Sean Connery, sends Lara Croft a videotape about the lost city of gold, El Dorado. An Australian villain shows up to give chase as Lara Croft teams up with an American named Dodge. There are whirlpool escapes and volcanoes and booby traps. Get your mind out of the gutter. She's a 16-year-old girl in this story. Alchemy plays a pivotal role in the script, but instead of turning crappy metals into gold, weapons dealers are turning crappy metals into weapons-grade plutonium. You know, they, they could have just taken the plutonium and given them a shoddy bomb casing full of used pinball machine parts. Pay attention, people. The movie ends with some daring escapes and set up the beginning of many adventures for Lara Croft as a Tomb Raider. Sounds okay, right? Mm, not so fast. See, the internet got a hold of the draft script, and the internet did what the internet does to everything. It just shit all over it. An early review of the script over on AintItCoolNews.com said that the movie was just a jumbled mess that got the whole Tomb Raider lore wrong, claiming that the movie was a mashup of the David Carradine grasshopper shtick from Kung Fu, set pieces from the Predator films, and an overall thinly veiled knockoff of Indiana Jones. Eventually, Friedman left the project after producers told him to write an economically viable idea for the movie. With some stumbling out of the gate, the studio and the producers and the video game company, they couldn't agree on a revised script, and it was decided to hit the reset button and start this video game movie all over. Even without a script, producers were in talks with Stephen Herrick to direct the film. Herrick had delivered the time-traveling tale, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and the Richard Dreyfuss-led film, Mr. Holland's Opus but the filmmakers still needed a script. Steven D'Souza, who worked with the producers on the blockbuster hits Die Hard and The Running Man, well, D'Souza delivered a script that almost everyone agreed on to get the film into production. Now, D'Souza's script begins with Lara Croft stealing a funeral mask from the tomb of King Philip, and it turns out that this may be the key to the long-lost library of Alexander the Great. The bad guy would be Larson, the jerk Texan featured in the original video game. Well, Larson would steal the mask, and it would be up to Lara Croft to get it back. Action, adventure, big set pieces, original characters, it all seems to make sense. But producers were not satisfied. They were looking for a way to make an original movie that was based on the video game series that was based on a bunch of other movies. You know, take something that's derivative and make it singularly unique. And with D'Souza fulfilling his contractually obligated duties by delivering his script, it was time for him to go. So at this point, enter Patrick Massett and John Zenman, 
two men who had never played Tomb Raider a day in their life to write the screenplay. Massett and Zenman wrote a 40-page treatment and did a pitch meeting with producers where they went through the movie scene for scene. During this pitch meeting, Massett said that the two were, quote, riffing off each other the whole time. It was tight, like a 40-minute Jimi Hendrix show. Thanks, Dad. And based on that session, the two got the job to write the screenplay for the movie. At which point, the two actually sat down and played the video game. And 17 days later, Massett and Zinman had their first draft. This script lifted elements from D'Souza's script, but introduced Achilles' shield. You know, something old, something new, something borrowed, and something blue. And what blue was the script? Because Massett and Zinman were let go. Enter Mike Werb and Michael Collerly, who had penned the Nicolas Cage, John Travolta, a switcheroo action film face-off. Their version of the screenplay had the Alexander the Great elements and the Shield of Achilles and a supernatural breastplate that gets broken into three pieces, which get buried at the far corners of the earth, where a present-day Lara Croft goes looking for two of the three pieces as her frail uncle already has possession of one of the pieces. Now, their interpretation of Lara Croft was as a more tortured heroine trying to fill a void in her life after her parents had mysteriously died in a plane crash, you know, like in the first draft. But they aren't really dead as her parents show up later in the story and her frail uncle, well, it turns out he's a bad guy. And then at one point in this screenplay, Lara Croft uses her giant breast to crush a centipede. Good God. This version of the screenplay also spent one third of the movie set in ancient times, not featuring the title character. Now sure, Brandon Fraser's version of The Mummy pulled off a similar feat, but in that film, people were paying to see The Mummy, not Brandon Fraser's wannabe Indiana Jones character, Rick O'Connell. People going to see this movie were paying to see Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, and producers felt they should see a lot of Lara Croft in this movie from start to finish. And at this time, Angelina Jolie was everybody's first choice to play Lara Croft. Jolie had co-starred in The Bone Collector and was soon to win an Oscar for her performance in Girl Interrupted. Now, the proposed casting of Angelina Jolie did not go without controversy. Nerds on the internet felt that Jolie wasn't physically appropriate to play the iconic character, and Jolie, an American actress, was going to be playing a female British character. And some felt that that was inappropriate. Plus, Angelina Jolie had some real controversial personal life drama going on at the time, most notably her marriage to writer, actor, director, musician, Kaiser Blade enthusiast, Billy Bob Thornton. Still, without a working script, producers found themselves working against the clock. They had a hard target release date for the following summer, and this movie had to get into production. And to make matters worse, their original director dropped out to go make the film Rockstar with Mark Wahlberg. Tell your mother I said hello. No script, no director, no problem. Get me Simon West. Simon West had directed the film Con Air, and he owed Paramount Studios a movie. So West took the director's chair, but he didn't like any of the early drafts of the script. Join the club, buddy. West ultimately said there were two things that he liked from the early drafts, the title of the movie and the lead character. Everything else was garbage, including the details of West's contract. And it was here that West was directing a movie he didn't really want to make, based on a script he reportedly didn't like, getting paid less than what he felt he deserved. So to solve all these problems, West decided to write his own version of the screenplay and demand a separate payday as the screenwriter. West felt making a movie based on a video game character reflected the lack of original ideas in Hollywood. 
He felt that Tomb Raider was just a tragedy waiting to happen. Wes took all of the previous drafts and just cobbled them together to come up with his own version of the script. In this, the, I forget what number version of the script we're up to now. In, in this version, Lara Croft is looking for the death mask of Alexander the Great, and it's split into three pieces. It gets stolen by a bad guy named Darius, and Lara has to retrieve it and the other two pieces before the bad guys find the Shield of Achilles, because the Shield of Achilles makes you invulnerable. Lara has a family butler named Jeeves. Remember, this was the late 90s and AskJeeves.com was quite popular. There's a former love interest who is also an archaeologist named Justin. Remember, this is the late 90s and Justin Timberlake was quite popular. The plot was there just to stitch together a bunch of action set pieces and it focused less on Lara Croft's sex appeal. Still without a final working script, the movie's release date slipped to the summer of 2001. So producers brought in some fixtures to polish up what they had so far. Brandon Braga, who wrote Mission Impossible 2, and Latia Caligridis, who would go on to write Avatar, along with Paul Atanzio, who wrote the screenplay for the brilliant movie Quiz Show, well, they all came in to assist with the script as well. One problem noted by the script doctors was that the Tomb Raider films didn't really feature any tombs and no real rating. So in the, seriously, how many versions of this screenplay have we gone through? In this latest, latest, latest version of the script, there was going to be a meteor that fell to Earth and the metal from it made a triangle of light. And it was being searched for by the Illuminati. There's a cybernetic trainer and a butler who assist Lara Croft in all of her adventures. There's a former love interest who shares the same last name as the film's director, West. There's also the introduction of a relationship between Lara Croft and her father, which proved to be pivotal in getting Angelina Jolie to ultimately participate in the film. It was proposed to Jolie that her real life and estranged father and fellow Oscar winner, Jean Voight, be cast to play Lara Croft's dad, and thus providing an opportunity for Jolie and Voight to work together on camera. That's right, Lara Croft stars not one, but two Academy Award-winning performers. Director West told Angelina Jolie that not only would he cast her real-life father, John Voight, to play her father in the movie, he said that Angelina Jolie and John Voight could write all their own scenes themselves. Up until now, that Illuminati twist I mentioned earlier was the most bonkers thing we'd heard about this screenplay. The final shooting draft of the script was delivered three days before production started. And as filming began, so began the cuts to the script, which is why in the final movie, the triangle is broken only into two pieces and not three pieces. They also cut out a history of the Triangle of Light and they replaced it with a narration of Lara Croft's father talking to a seven-year-old version of the heroine. Now, D'Souza, remember that guy? He's the one who wrote the draft after Friedman, but before everybody else. Well, from his script, elements were salvaged for the final movie, including the opening battle with a robot, the acrobatic gunfight scene in the mansion, and an homage to Ray Harryhausen's stop-motion animation style when a bunch of statues come to life and Lara Croft shoots them to bits with her pistols. Now, despite all of this creative work, D'Souza did not get a writing credit on the film. During production of the film, the movie was plagued with a never-ending series of unexpected challenges. During filming, burglars broke into the home of the film's director and stole a bunch of raw footage from the house. The film was on tapes and was in a bag that was taken at night by the burglars and was reported to contain two months worth of filming. 
Then Angelina Jolie hurt her ankle during filming, which caused delay. The budget began to grow closer and closer to the $100 million mark. Then there were lawsuits by female staffers citing sexual harassment. The movie's shooting schedule went months past their projected end date. And in the end, the film was delivered with a runtime of two hours and 10 minutes, or as I like to call it, five minutes longer than the original Star Wars. So Paramount politely told director Simon West, thank you for your efforts, but your services here are no longer needed. The studio had the entire film's soundtrack replaced, producing 60 minutes of music in 10 days. As they rushed to complete the film, there were major effect shots that were incomplete when the film eventually hit theaters. But despite all of these challenges, the movie hit the big screen and was a financial success, bringing in close to $48 million in its opening weekend and $275 million in worldwide box office receipts. Before the movie left theaters, there was already a sequel in the works. Lara Croft Tomb Raider was nominated for two MTV Movie Awards, one for Best Female Performance for Angelina Jolie, but she didn't win. Nicole Kidman took home that award for her performance in Moulin Rouge. And Angelina Jolie received a nomination for a Golden Raspberry as Worst Actress. But she didn't win that one either. Mariah Carey took on that award for her performance in Glitter. Sometimes when you lose, you win. And sometimes when you win, you lose. Life's funny like that. But what about Lara Croft Tomb Raider? Is it possible for a movie riddled with production setbacks to rise above the dysfunction of the Hollywood Dream Factory? Can a movie based on a successful video game series that's based on a series of successful movies be any good? Was Roger Ebert high when he gave the movie three out of four stars and said, quote, Lara Croft Tomb Raider elevates goofiness to an art form, end quote. Well, there's just one way to answer these questions. Ladies and gentlemen, post-pubescent boys and objectified girls, I give you from the year 2001, Lara Croft, Tomb Raider. And welcome to Pick 6 Movies Season 7, Game On, where we are tackling six motion pictures inspired by video games. I am player one, Chad Cooper. Joining me is player two, Mr. Bo Ransdell. Uh, hey, I didn't realize we were doing a thing at the beginning. Yeah, uh, couch co-op. <laughs> it's a multiplayer. So we're kicking this one off with Lara Croft Tomb Raider as the intro set up for us. I had never seen this movie until we decided to do this season for good reason, because it's terrible. Mm -hmm. You had seen this film? Yeah, I'd seen both of them uh, at some point, and I I still, you know, slight spoilers for uh, Lara Croft Tomb Raider, The Cradle of Life, the sequel to the film we'll be discussing tonight. Um, it involves her punching a shark in the face and riding it like a dolphin. Nothing as ridiculous happens in this movie, much, much to both of our chagrin. That kind of behavior is the sort of thing I would expect from your Brock Sampson's not something that I would expect from your Lara Crofts. Right. Maybe your Aquaman, perhaps. <laughs> Drunk in an underwater bar. Come on, shark. You want a piece of the Aquaman? <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> 
Our movie opens and Laura Croft is hanging upside down on a rope by her hands and feet. And she is here by choice and not by the evil doing of some dastardly villain. Because Laura Croft then backflips into one of these and she lands on her feet in the middle of this ancient Egyptian tomb. And I want to stop the conversation right now as it has just begun because I would like to discuss the fact that upon initial viewing, the audience doesn't know what's happening, but I want us to talk about what's really going on during this scene. Uh-huh. Yeah, because what is really happening, Chad, if you scratch the surface a little bit, Laura Croft is in the fake tomb wing of her house where she has done this, like, Ocean's Eleven level mock-up of the vault. It is sand and pillars, and it's real cement because she can shoot through it and knock it over. It looks like the set of a Brandon Fraser mummy movie. But it's but in reality it is all just a simulation. It is this battle playground built inside Croft Manor. Right. The reality of this movie is that Lara Croft, the orphaned tomb raider, I guess what commissioned a team of artists, architects, hucksters, swindlers to build this Cirque du Soleil dojo for her to practice her cool karate moves and gunplay and robot fighting ninja skills just in case these abilities are ever called for in her adult day-to-day life. Yeah, they're, they're the same people that build your uh, hostile torture rooms, your island compounds where you hunt people. This setup makes the outdoor carnival at Michael Jackson's Neverland Ranch look quaint. Right, like, oh, that's, that's cute that you've got a Ferris wheel. Here's my death robot. Except with Michael Jackson, he did have a lot of alleged child sexual abuse. I guess it's worth pointing out she's actually in the the like video game outfit with like the short shorts and she's got the gun strapped to her legs and all that stuff because this movie as your introduction pointed out uh is not afraid of a little exploitation here and there no though that's what audiences wanted they were 98 percent male attendees aged 12 to 26 they paid their money and yeah. that's what they wanted to see short shorts large breast gun strapped to thighs and just for what it's worth the other two percent of attendees were appalled moms and really really angry girlfriends is that what you like Devin? is that what you like is that your dream girl you know how long it takes her to do her makeup in the morning she doesn't look like like when she gets out of the shower and you know what those aren't even her real lips they're pumped full of armadillo fat cells and oreo cookie cream i read that Devin. are you even listening to me Devin? Devin. I, w- I would say peppered in that 2%, a couple of cool uncles. <laughs> you know, like, hey, don't worry about it, Devin. Take, like, she, <laughs> she's bending over. All right, look at that. huh? Don't listen to that girl beside you. You just stick your old Uncle Rick. Tell you what, we'll ever had a beer? We'll get one after the movie. <laughs> or maybe five. <laughs> Oh, five for me, one for you. We'll get we'll get a sixer, and we'll I'll I'll say go, <laughs> and you drink as many as you can before your old uncle Rick can get to them. Don't worry if you can't finish yours. I'll I'll take care of that. Can you drive stick? You know you can't. Okay, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> all right. Uh, hey, important stuff happening tonight, Devin. You're seeing Tomb Raider, and you were learning to drive. The big big day for for Devin. You're learning to drive because. Well, I legally can't drive. <laughs> I, I, they told me I could keep my li- my license. It just ain't good for nothing. 
Lara Croft, she finally makes her way into the opening scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's here that we see what appears to be like a golden light switch frame sitting atop a pedestal, just bathed in light. Like, what is she going after? Yeah, I thought Link was going to come along and collect it. I was like, what the f- <laughs> fuck cheap ass idol is this? And that's really the, the point where you know it's fake because it's like no self-respecting ancient civilization would worship this thing. Looks like shit. But before Lara Croft can reach out to grab the gold light switch cover, there is a rumble in the room and the T-4000 death bot explodes out of the walls. There are these huge amounts of rubble that explode across the room. And then the robot takes one of its many arms and it tries to stab Lara Croft in the vagina, but the robot misses, thank God. And then Lara Croft just does multiple backflips and then removes her two hand cannons from her supple golden sun-kissed thighs and just starts blasting unlimited rounds of ammunition at this death bot. Yeah. Upon initial viewing, the immediate response to this scene is, what the hell is going on here? But let me say, upon repeated viewings, you really understand that this is a simulation room. And a more informed, refined response is, no, really, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. But you know an action scene was going to break out, Chad, because the dubstep started. <laughs> she immediately like you said just starts flipping around the room and it's like oh it's going to be that kind of movie and it's kind of i suppose a bit of heightened reality or whatever but this robot has like saws for hands and shit like not since the black hole has a robot been so terrifying and she's just shooting it up and whatnot's like shooting uh pillars and and riding the pillar onto the robot to kill it. At one point, she tosses a drop cloth over it, which just confuses the robot the way you would do a small kitten. After she crushes the Deathbot 4000, Lara Croft approaches it, but then the the Deathbot pops up and throws Lara Croft across the room and prepares for one final battle, where again the Deathbot pulls out these circular spinny saw blades on its arms and it has one of those spiky long metal pokey things that they use in movies where there's a sadistic dentist it's real stupid and then Lara Croft shoots the the death bot a whole bunch and then the death bot ends up on top of Lara Croft with its you know spinny saws and Lara Croft just uses the old school why are you hitting yourself why are you hitting yourself defense (laughs) and she just turns its hands against the robot and then subdues it. Then Lara Croft jumps on top of the robot. She rips out some random wires, rendering it useless. Here's the worst part. She doesn't even have a lame, witty retort. I was thinking, metal luck next time, or time for a reboot. And then she would like kick it with her boot as she walks away. Oh, that'd be a good one. Can I tell you, uh, my real note there was, it uses its saw hands to kill it in the robot version of why are you hitting yourself? <laughs> Just to point out how simpatico we were about that moment. <laughs> um, yeah, it it really is like a crazy moment. And then she gives this laugh, which is our first clue, Chad, in my pet theory that I call Laura Croft is a psychopath in this film. I would 100% agree. It is a giggle that is normally found in a mental hospital. Finally, I've tasted blood. Mm, it must be morning. And then she's about to grab 
the idol or the golden light switch and then the robot like hops up and starts attacking again and at this point the illusion is shatter chad because she yells stop (laughs) and and the robot freezes and then she just like opens up the winamp player on the robot To play some more dubstep? On the laptop that's attached to the chest of this Killbot 2000, there is a program that is being run called Kill Lara Croft. <laughs> yeah. I, what is, what yeah. does that program do? The next thing we know, she is dragging this robot by the fucking leg out of her personal training tomb mm-hmm. to where there, uh, a glass office where we find this dude, Bryce. And he's all upset because he's like, oh, you use live rounds, Laura. Bryce is Laura Croft's Q, as you would find in a James Bond movie. He is the brilliant genius behind all of Laura Croft's technological doodads. But there's one big difference between Bryce and Q in the James Bond films and that is that Bryce is worthless in this movie and he doesn't create any gadgets that Lara Croft uses ever and his character shouldn't be in this film he he mostly fails at everything he does and the and he rightfully doesn't even live in the house we'll learn later because he's such an afterthought to everything in this movie he lives in a streamline trailer outside of Croft Manor why do you think they make him live in that trailer as opposed to living in the mansion she asks him and actually says you know we've got 83 rooms he's like well i like my privacy and in reality i think he is either a furiously masturbating all the time in a way that he can't even do it in the house (laughs) or two or maybe it's it's not an or it's an and it's an and But he is so terrified of her that he figures it's way safer in this Airstream out on the lawn than it ever would be inside those doors. Did you ever consider a third option of toxic farts? (laughs) I hadn't. But now that you say it, I did notice he ate a lot of broccoli. (laughs) Noah, I've invented a new killer robot. Price goes over to the T-4000 death bot and he says, Not live rounds, Laura. He's in real pain now. Which, was she supposed to not be shooting live ammunition at this robot during the battle? Again, at one point in this movie, and we still don't kind of know where we are geographically or who these people are, what's going on. You know, the building blocks that you have for most movie narratives. There is a program that was being run called Kill Laura Croft. And she even says, was this thing programmed to stop before it took my head off? And Bryce is like, that would be a no, Laura. I don't think that Bryce likes her. I think Bryce does want to kill her. Mm Mm-hmm. 100%. And over and over again in this movie, I think he's deliberately dragging his feet on doing helpful shit just to see her fail. But we cut away from this immediately because we got to do a gratuitous shower shot. Like, this is the strip club of movie scenes where it's just like, this should be sexy, but there is nothing sexy about this. The one role that it does serve here is that it's just jerk fuel for nerds who, you know, every time they play these crappy pixelated games, we're like, I can't wait to see Nora Croft in the flesh. <laughs> Laura Croft is real. I can almost see her tits. 
It's in the scene that we get to meet the male butler, Hillary. Hillary may be a common male name in some parts of the English speaking world, but I don't know where that exists. In this movie, Hillary is kind of dainty. And I don't know if that name is meant to emasculate him even more so as a character. The name Hillary sure as hell isn't like, you know, Dick Gently or Rocco Uppercut or Chuck <laughs> Porterhouse or Powers Booth or Rick Brickhouse. David Keith or Keith David. <laughs> Excuse me, let me call my butler. Hillary. But yeah, so she's wearing a towel out of the bath, which also begs the question, where was the fucking shower head? For the shower, we just saw her taken. Oh, well, doesn't matter, I guess. And Hillary brings in like a, a dress and is like, you know, a lady should be modest. And she drops her towel and says, yes, a lady should be. <laughs> is Hillary gay in this movie? Or is she just, or is he straight and she's just torturing him? Because that's the kind of move, again, that is in a 007 movie where a woman drops her towel and says, a lady should be modest. And then Bond goes in and fucks her and we move on to the next scene. She is a sexual predator and Hillary has a very good civil case against her, Chad, is what's happening here. <laughs> like, she is his employer and is getting naked in front of him and just being like, hmm, well, what do you think, Hillary? Quite something, hey, my employee. Now, take the clothes you are going to dress me in and fuck right off. <laughs> She she dropped her towel when all I wanted to do was my job. Shut up, Hillary. We then get a title card of Venice, Italy, uh, establishing that the building that we're seeing is at least in a location that has now been identified. I didn't recognize this building essentially because I'm an uncultured dumbass who spends a lot of his free time ripping on bad movies, all related to a single theme with my lifelong friend, Bo Ransdell, to see if they're any good. I'm Chad Cooper, and this season's theme is Game On, where we're nope, reviewing nope. six movies all related to video games. In this episode, nope, we're, we're taking on part. 2001's Tomb Raider, starring Angelina nope. Jolie. Bo, yeah. how are you doing tonight? I, you know, I, I we've done this already. We're at the Venice, Italy, already. Inside this mystery Venice building, we see uh, a meeting of the Illuminati, and they are in search of a key... <laughs> That will unlock the ability to move time forward and backward during a once in 5,000 year alignment of the planets. So all those things I just said takes this movie about 90 minutes to explain. And throughout this entire film, it is never made clear what is going on. I have seen this movie twice now, and I have no clear understanding what this movie is about or what happens. I can help you, Chad. It don't matter. Um, so there's this big table with a bunch of white people around it all bitching about like oh, it's been 5,000 years and if, if we don't get the what's the fuck it'll be another 5,000 years and, and you're just like oh, alright fine you gotta get the who's it's and do the what's it fine and so, so and what? All right, what is his name? I I keep calling him Sir Jorah, I, and I apologize for being one of the human beings on the face of fucking planet Earth who's in Game of Thrones. 
His name is Manfred Powell. And we can just call him Manfred. All right, so Manfred Man, or I'm sorry, Manfred, and his manservant, Mr. Pims, uh-huh. enter this big hall where the old man, oh, we don't have much time. And he, they say, uh, you've only got one week between now and this planetary alignment. That's where Manfred is like, oh, yes, well... I, for one, would like it done because I can't wait around another 5,000 years. <laughs> and they're all like, <laughs> and everybody's having a good old white man time about it. So the old man is like, you've been kind of failing us. So are you sure that you're going to be able to get this key in one week? Right. Well, because you got to find the two halves of this key so we can put them together at the exact moment that the planets align. And then we'll hit that wire with the connecting hook at precisely 88 miles an hour. The instant the lightning strikes, everything will be fine. I I do like the fact that when Manfred says, I'd rather not wait that long, kind of cracks his manservant Pims up. And it's like, yeah, sometimes jokes are just meant for certain people. It's like, you know who's going to love this? Pims is going to fucking love this. (laughs) Uh, I'd rather not wait that long. Hey, Pims. You know, he's (laughs) got that right, Manfred. As they're leaving, speaking of Pims, he's like, so are we ready to give them the key and triangle? And uh, Manfred's like, no, we have nothing. We got nothing. We are fucked. At this point, I'm completely thinking that Manfred is going to go solicit the help of Lara Croft Tomb Raider to help find these pieces in under a week. That would have been a good movie. You're right, but instead, because this movie is kind of a ripoff of Indiana Jones. Among many other movies. But he's kind of a shitty block, is is his character in this movie. After we leave them... Again, Hillary's a man, not a woman. Right. Uh, shows up to <laughs> offer Laura Croft some binders of just adventures, I guess. Right. Of like, Egypt, huh? How about Spain? To do what? My favorite part of this, though, is when he says, like, do you want to go to Egypt, ma'am? She's like, no, sand gets everywhere. And he's just like, once again, it's just like, can she just not talk about, like, her ass or vagina for two seconds while her butler is around? Again, he's got a great case. And I, I, look, I don't have a law degree, Chad, but I think I could win this in court. (laughs) Lara Croft says, do you know what date is Hillary? And Hillary Again, her male butler. Um, I know it's confusing. Hillary says, yes, Laura Croft, it's the 15th. And Laura Croft says, yes, it is the 15th. It's never a good day. Which my thought was, does she get melancholy on the 15th of every single month or just the 15th of May? My thought was, that's the day we're recording this. (laughs) Hey, it is. Yeah, right? That is so weird. <laughs> and then finally she's just like hey Ronnie, you can fuck off as well and so off he fucks and then she looks at this hilariously photoshopped picture of john Voigt with egypt behind him i know this is early on in digital effects and whatnot chad but fucking jurassic park had already happened can we not <laughs> sprinkle a little of that over this picture of john Voigt with a white border around him pasted onto a nighttime picture of the pyramids he's doing one heck of a doodly ned flanders cosplay 
Heinle Ho, Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> because this is the day that her dad died. Maybe. I, you, we don't even know later. We learn later. It's like, because she goes to the memorial or and she's like, I, I wish we could have had more time that was stolen from us. And the grave marker just says, lost in the field. <laughs> just like, ah, he's gone. We couldn't find him. Whatever. So he died. In 1985, according to this headstone. So 16 years before this movie was released. And so I guess we assume that she was like 12 or 13 or something at the time of his disappearance or something. I think every headstone should contain the cause of death. I want mine to say lost in the field. Or because the alternative is like he was eating hummus and watching the Ouija Experiment 6 (laughs) when his heart finally gave out. (laughs) You know? Lara Croft goes to her father's headstone and she says, I miss you, Daddy. I wish we could get back that time that was stolen from us. And then she leaves this daisy chain of flowers on the headstone, which I guess is kind of a through line, but it, it they just fuck it up. Let's let's move on. <laughs> yeah, the, the daisies don't mean nothing. His gravesite is covered with this tent of like a, atop the burial place. And I couldn't tell if this was a real tent or was it a marble slash granite sculpture of a tent? No, yeah, it's like a memorial tent, which is the craziest thing I've ever heard of. Like, imagine going to a stonemason or something being like, I need a tent. <laughs> like, You're like, that's what? completely the wrong. Look, I mean, I love stone. I work with stone every day of my life. <laughs> but when when you say you need a tent, my mind does not leap to granite. Is he buried on the estate or is this just an empty memorial? He's just him? gone. He's just gone. They don't know where he went. They, so they built all this. Does he show up in part two? Because I'm never going to see it. No. Oh. No, this was the one time where like Angelina Jolie as a person was like, John Voight, you can come into my life. And then, you know, that happened for about three months. And she was like, no, 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 no. That was a mistake. You need to get away from me again. And I think this was because there was a big deal about how this was going to be the movie that they worked together. And when they were famously estranged. Right. And all. Yeah, nobody gives a shit about that. No, they don't. And it, all right. So look, a lot of this movie for me is all about class warfare because Laura Croft is the kind of rich where not only can she build a fake tomb for herself, she just has her own fucking observatory that she's chilling in uh, it, attached to her house, like this giant-ass telescope. Yeah, it's the, it, it is a telescope that is found in your finest planetariums. Why are they rich? What, is the, what does their family do? Where do they get their money? I mean, they have a butler and a resident scientist on premises. Only three people live on this property but where does their cash come from? They don't explain any of that. It's England, man. It's all like royalty and shit. She's probably, you know, she's Lady Laura Croft. She, uh, she's probably, <laughs> and <laughs> she's rich because of that. Fair enough. Yeah, this is like, oh, it's all a bunch of king-worshipping bastards over there, Chad. Uh, so, you know, she's looking at planets lining up, and she's like, you know, this won't happen again for 5,000 years in case no one was paying attention to the movie so far. (laughs) And has this weird, like, dream memory of her father showing her watch with Wonder Woman's picture in it, where he's like, Laura, this is Wonder Woman. She was a hero to all girls and had a rockin' bod. The photo in this locket during this dream sequence looks like it was taken in the early 1900s. (laughs) 
right. How old was this woman when Lara Croft was born? And what century does this movie take place? This woman's pocket watch photograph should look more like Suzanne Summers instead of Susan B. Anthony. Oh, Laura, I want you to meet Clara. Yeah. I met her in the Old West. <laughs> It doesn't make any sense. She should have had, like, you know, a Farrah Fawcett feather do. That's what it would have looked like. She was born in the 80s. She should have looked like our moms, you know? (laughs) Not not a woman who was, like, fighting for the right to vote. (laughs) It's so stupid. John Voight then tells her about the 5,000 years again in case you are a guppy and forgot that two minutes ago she was like, you know, 5,000 years, these planets won't be lining up again. And John Voight tells her like, you know, 5,000 years is just long enough for you, Laura Croft, to grow up and find this what's a my shit. And then she kind of comes to and wakes up suddenly and pulls a knife. Yeah, that's that's how I wake up every morning, covered in sweat and wielding a blade that I had under my pillow for emergencies. Hey, look, dating in your 40s is tough, Chad, and I've had knives pulled on me when I had done nothing wrong, according to the courts. Lara Croft puts on her nightgown and she wanders around Croft Manor. This whole place looks like a small wing adjacent to Hogwarts. (laughs) And then Lara Croft starts hearing the ticking clock that is inside the walls of a staircase where she just smashes it open and she finds this storage closet, which conveniently has a light switch inside on the wall. She clickety-clacks so we can see what the hell's doing. And then Warcroft <laughs> uses a crowbar to pop the top off of this long wooden shipping container that says Fragile on the side of it. And then she pulls out mm-hmm. this puffy straw and uh, out comes a leg lamp. She actually pulls it out and it's a ticking clock inside. All of that was true yeah. except for the leg band and the Fred G. Lay part. That was a Christmas story reference. I got it. I think everybody was there. <laughs> she So she runs off to wake up Bryce, whose bedroom is straight from the kid abduction scene from Close Encounters. <laughs> where she's like, toys. There's all this shit, like little mini robots walking all over the place. And so she bangs on the door to his Airstream. And, and uh, this is where she's like, you know, why don't you live in the house? And he's like, well, I'm a free spirit, ma'am. Then uh, he's <laughs> examining the clock. And so they're given the clock kind of this weird colonoscopy because mm-hmm. it's over 40 and it needs it yearly, Chad. Indeed. Let that be a lesson to you. And then, uh, like, Laura is the one who's like, what's that? And it's like just this little eye design inserted into the clock, right? Like, she's she and she spots it and she's like, go back. And they're like, we don't know how. It doesn't go it's bendy, and when I try to go left again, it goes right. Yeah, I mean, to move things along, Lara Croft sees something inside the clock as Bryce is using this pin camera to examine the innards of it. And so Lara Croft is just like, out of the way, give me a hammer, smashy smash. And inside she finds, you know, the medallion that was placed atop the staff of Ra in Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> Right. I like when she, like, goes after the clock with a hammer. You see Bryce and Hillary Wentz, because they've seen this behavior before, <laughs> where she just loses her shit for a minute and takes a hammer or something. They're so happy that the claw end isn't coming after them. So after she sees the glowing eye thing and she goes, the all-seeing eye. 
As if that means anything to anybody. It doesn't. Even at the end of the damn movie, it doesn't mean anything. No, it's the, like, this Illuminati shit is the most disposable piece of this movie. In a movie rife with shit, you can rip out of it and it wouldn't make no difference. Lara Croft dresses up head to toe in leather. And then she just decides to go whip around London on a motorcycle like a straight up asshole. Dissipating all rules of the road, ignoring driving lanes, traffic signals. And then Lara Croft just comes strutting into this auction house wearing black sunglasses and biker gear. And she sits on a chair and puts her boots up on top of another chair. You know, Larry David had a line. You know who wears sunglasses indoors? Blind people and assholes. And in this movie, Lara Croft is 100% asshole she is not a likable character in this movie at all no she's a violent psychopath but not even in an entertaining way in a boring way yeah and and that's one of the big problems with this movie is every time they they try to make you like laura croft it just fails miserably you're like i guess she's fine and I mean, the games were okay. She waves at a friend, and there's a joke that goes nowhere, isn't set up particularly well, and doesn't land, where she waves at her friend, and the auctioneer is like, next bid to the asshole lady in the sunglasses. And she's like, oh, heavens to Betsy, have I almost purchased something for two and a half million dollars? And then someone else bids on it, and then it's nothing. It's like, why did we waste any time doing any of this? You know, the way this scene should have played out she should have won the auction and then paid a huge sum of money for some you know worthless goofball trinket that is either used as a punchline for a joke or maybe coincidentally has an impact on the plot of the movie but none of that happens my that, that would have made sense instead it's just a waste of time yeah and i'm the only one who does fan fiction on this show I see you, Chad. I see you. You're rubbing off on me. <laughs> I know. We cut to Laura and she's talking with this elderly auction friend, Wilson, who works at, oh God, Boothby's Auction House. I like that uh, also at this moment, Daniel Craig, uh, a.k.a. James Bond, shows up with an accent so American he could have been Doctor Strange, Chad. <laughs> I can tell you right now, that's the funniest joke of this whole episode for me. (laughs) (laughs) He he asked, so are you trying to be a photojournalist, Steel Laura? And is Daniel Craig like a contemporary of Laura Croft or maybe a competitor dabbling in the storied art of raiding tombs? What does Lara Croft do exactly besides shoot robots in her basement? I'm so confused. Yeah, in Hunt Man, <laughs> she is just a, like, she's a rich asshole that just goes and, like, we're going to get to it. There's photographic evidence that she's just an asshole that just drops in and fucks with other countries and bounces out at her will because she's a rich lady. Daniel Craig says, hey, Laura Croft. Are you still pretending to be a photo journalist? And her shitty English accent, which is my shitty English accent, is just like, no, are you still pretending to be an archaeologist? Zing. (laughs) Apparently these two have history together. Crossing paths, I'm guessing, raiding tombs. None of this is detailed in any way in this film. No, and you could remove him wholesale from this movie. This is another thing. And and you shouldn't be able to get rid of this character and it make no difference. But it wouldn't make no difference because he doesn't do shit in this movie. You could literally 
edit out every single scene with Daniel Craig in this movie, and it would not impact the flow of this film one bit. Right. At one point, you might be like, hey, who told them to put the swords in the slots in the ground? But, but, but there's so many other moments in the film where it just skips over important details that you would just be like, well, there's another bump in the road. Yeah. It, oh, it's garbage. So th- then a West is is Daniel Craig's name, gets called to the uh, floor. And Laura Croft is like, that's all this is to you after all business. And he looks genuinely hurt by like, like you know, how that was low, Lara Croft. That was rude. As soon as Daniel Craig shows up in this movie, he's gone. Like he doesn't right. he doesn't do anything. When watching it, you're like, hey, Daniel Craig's in this. Oh wait, no, he's not. You know what's weird? A year after this movie came out, Daniel Craig was in Road to Perdition with Tom Hanks and Paul Newman. I only bring that up because it's a good movie and this is not a good movie. <laughs> Right. Do you think uh, while he was on the set with Paul Newman and Tom Hanks, like like Newman is like, I tell you what it was like on the set of <laughs> what, what it was like on the set of Butch casting the Sundance Kid. You know, me and Bob, I call him Bob Reffer, is a friend of mine. Me and Bob would just kind of sit back and we'd be like, "Hey, why are you doing this stupid musical number in the middle of the movie?" It's very funny. And Tom Hanks is like, "I'll tell you when uh, that's fantastic." And then we went in the Vomit Comet. Uh, where you know we're waitless to film Apollo 13, and it was it was really something I met a lot of astronauts. Have. I've been championing that all my life. <laughs> Daniel Craig is like, I was on the set of Lara Croft Tomb Raider, <laughs> and it's like that scene in Jaws when Brody pulls up his shirt to show off his appendectomy scar. <laughs> just like, I got nothing. <laughs> Angelina Jolie spoke to me twice <laughs> off camera. She was, she's real nice. Her lips are surprisingly larger in person than they look on the screen. I'll be quiet now. Yeah, they just stare him down, stare daggers at him until he shuts up. <laughs> I'll be quiet now. What was that you were saying about Formula One racing, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I like, I like racing. He did a lot of movies about it. Tell, tell me more about that astronaut shit. Daniel, you open your mouth. I'll fucking punch you in the face. I'm 89 years old, but I will drop you like a sack of potatoes. Lara Croft then wanders into the opening scene from Back to the Future where there are dozens of clocks everywhere in this old man <laughs> Wilson's auction house office. And Wilson is a clockologist or some made up bullshit field of expertise that only exists in the world of movies. Wilson looks at the uh, headstone piece that was put on the staff of Ra and Raiders of the Lost Ark that Lara Croft Tomb Raider uh, smashed out of a clock. Remember we talked about that earlier. And then uh, Wilson says, this is a unique piece. You think? Right. It, it, she's like, look, it's counting down and it looks like a key. And he's like, I think it could be a key. And you're just like, oh, this, like this movie is pointless. This old man adds nothing to this movie. It's Lara Croft who spouts off all the exposition in this scene to explain what in the hell is going on. Like how this is a part of a larger machine or whatever. This old man is like, yeah, yeah, that, that sounds good. Th- that'll make sense to me. <laughs> Thanks for dropping by, Laura. Tell me this story. And then she talks about how like, oh, there's a triangle of light and allows the owner to control time and it's like well what does that mean it allows you to control time that oh that's an interesting concept what does that mean they, again they don't ever explain any of this ever ever in this movie it's just shit that kind of happens sometimes 
Old man Wilson offers Lara Croft some booze in the middle of the day to get her drunk. I like that. I'll tell you what. I had uh, a friend come <laughs> come visit me today about three o'clock, and I was saying, "Yeah, I like to have a a little wine on the deck here every now and again." Three o'clock in the afternoon, she's like, "Hey, let's have a little wine." I was like, "You know what? I like the cut of your jib." <laughs> Pointless story. So, but Wilson ultimately is just like, I can't help you. I am useless. Yes, you are drunk, Wilson. And she leaves in the most obnoxious possible way on her bike where she just grinds the back tire. Where it's like, er, like John Wick's around and then takes off. And it's not until a little bit later she gets a call back from Wilson. Drunk on boxed wine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's been drinking since she left. Or he he tells her like, "Hey, I gave your number to a guy named Powell who might be able to help you." Then after they hang up, it, it Wilson looks at a, another shittily po- Photoshop picture. This time it's Wilson and John Voight. Right. <laughs> You know, it, it's like one of those staged pictures where you can look like you're a pioneer or something with your best gal, <laughs> and they sepia-toed it a little bit. Right. It's that level of quality. And he tells this shitty carnival picture, forgive me. And we soon learn uh, what the forgive me uh, means. Do we? I mean, all he said, all it was was that he said, hey, you need to go talk to, to Manfred Powell, the villain of our movie. And then... We cut back to Lara Croft and she's like, all right, drunk Wilson, thanks a lot. And then there's this weird moment where in the background there's a microwave and an explosion happens inside of it that is normally reserved for the execution of a gremlin. And then you're just like, is that a joke? It it kind of reminded me of like when Wayne Campbell was burning toast while he tried to call Cassandra in Wayne's World 2. Season two, episode one of Pick Six Movies. Because in the foreground, there's action happening juxtaposed against something in the background. But that background juxtaposition doesn't advance the movie's plot. It doesn't add any more detail to the character. And it doesn't make the audience laugh. In fact, it's just kind of this bizarre non sequitur that is thoroughly out of place. (laughs) Right. I forgot about it for a second, but both times I watched it recently, I remember thinking like, what was in the microwave and why is that never mentioned again? Like if it was a possum, that would make sense. It's, I mean, it is a boom. I've never had anything in a microwave explode like that ever. I don't don't have answers for you, Chad. Uh, I wish I did. Uh, But... Let me tell you something I love. I love inappropriate cocktail parties, Chad. And that's kind of what we're dealing with in the next scene where, like, Laura ends up going to meet Manfred and who says, like, oh, I'm a lawyer. But this is a real, like, Mr. Wolf from Pulp Fiction scenario where there is a party going on all around Manfred and his crew at what? 1 p.m. The the whole scene to me looked like the set of that monkey brains dining operation in Temple of Doom. Yeah, it, his character is so weird in this movie. He's It's like he goes in, where whatever city he's in, he just immediately appropriates all the culture of it and just decorates his house with it and is like, oh, what's here? Sitars? Make sure there are four sitar players playing at all times in each corner of the room. At this point in my notes, I have written... I think I might hate this movie. Yeah, it's it's real bad. So there's this back and forth with Lara Croft and, and Manfred where he's saying like, oh, I met your father in Venice. And then she shows him a picture of the, the key that they found in the clock, the Staff of Ra. And she's like, so you like clocks? And he, he's like, well, actually, antiquities of all time, uh, of all kinds. You could say it's an obsession of mine. 
like this is the point where in my notes i wrote he is so blocked this fucking hurts then he also says looking at, at laura i've never seen anything so beautiful i know so little about hmm and then he says it is a pleasurable torment my ignorance amuses me what a fucking asshole <laughs> right and there is a nice quick cut to bryce rightfully making fun of that line it's, it's probably the only entertaining moment in this film for me when he's just like what my ignorance amuses me he said that and you're like okay this movie at least for an instant knew how dumb it was and then it forgets because hey hey chat you know how many how many years it'll be before this happens again don't worry the movie's gonna tell you about four more times in a minute <laughs> i think i like this scene because bryce said exactly what i was thinking at the moment i was thinking it yeah and then also it's really quick too because it's it's just that and then laura saying he's a liar and then cut yeah so in this scene with manfred earlier the illuminati said you got a week to find these two halves of a triangle mm -hmm. and he's just laying around in his house chit-chatting with laura croft about a clock yeah he's he's taking a very zen approach to it it's sort of almost the zero effect where he's like <laughs> look if i'm looking for it i'll never find it but if i'm looking for anything i respect it i got a zero effect joke coming up later on <laughs> <laughs> oh wow we're, pretty soon we're gonna be menstruating together which is gonna be weird i think we might just be able to do this show one at a time we'll just change the picture of our voice what do you think i like it me too <laughs> wait which one am i in that scenario you're both of them oh okay <laughs> well now i'm happy <laughs> This show is so dumb. Wait, so Laura then decides like she's gonna do some some late night Cirque du Soleil with her top unbuttoned you know, almost enough so you can see her boobs. <laughs> Bryce is listening to some more electronica, and then we see soldiers advancing. Like uh, apparently, what has happened here is that Manfred knows she has the headpiece of the Staff of Ra and is sending his soldiers to go retrieve it. But we never saw Manfred order anyone to do this. What you are describing is us having to do our movie homework. To to explain what in the hell's going on here. Yes, because this movie is not good. It's weird because it kind of looks okay. And it's one of those movies, if you're not paying attention, it almost feels like it's a real movie. But you stop and think about anything for two seconds, you're like, oh yeah, this kind of sucks. Um, so <laughs> there's an intruder alert going off. And then Laura Croft hears that and she's like, you know, to the chandelier. And this is actually, I learned the point where she injured her ankle, as you alluded to in the introduction. This was the scene, the scene that she injured her ankle and in, in and it delayed the shoot. I mean, was it worth it? You, you tell me. <laughs> the answer is no. Right. And so we know another action scene is about to break out, Chad, because here comes the dubstep again. Mm -hmm. And all these super soldiers bust in to reenact the finale of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, season four, episode two of Pick Six Movies, because these super soldiers explode into Croft Manor via every window available in the building. And then Laura Croft just bungee jumps around and she beats them up one by one. And then Laura Croft runs along the walls attached to this bouncy wire and she disarms, you know, one henchman after another. And at this point, Bryce and Hillary, again, a man, they are of no help at all to Laura Croft. And I just, I, right. I just want to say the editing of this scene is at best horribly confusing they break up a scene for no good reason with hillary strapping on a bulletproof vest and getting a shotgun yes 
And putting on slippers. Presumably, he has this equipment for defense against Laura Croft herself. This is just a happy accident. Long story short, Laura Croft takes the lives of multiple men in her own home, leaving corpses all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> she has to call up. What, what's the dude's name? John Wick, Bobby. We're, you know, reservation for 14. Where they come wrap them all in plastic and cart them off. I think there's just a big pit out back. And the next day, Hillary goes out there with a, you know, drum of lie and just slogs them in one after the other. Bryce, help Hillary take them to the lime room. <laughs> she, she has like an incinerator that is normally found at funeral homes <laughs> built into her own house to just take care of problems. We had to get licensed as a funeral home. It was quite difficult. <laughs> <laughs> Turns at $75 at the clerk. It's quite easy. Now we can run the incinerator dawn till dusk. <laughs> Nobody asks any questions. We got rid of the Christmas tree and, and our, our baker's dozen military individuals. One corgi and a troublesome elderly neighbor. <laughs> Who complained about all the smoke. Ironic, I thought. Uh, Laura Croft makes her way down to the Croft Cave underneath Croft Manor and the Croft Mobile and the Croft Orang and the Croft Shock Repellent is all waiting for her. And then Bryce, who's still strapped in his fart-filled airstream, he can see Laura Croft on the security cameras, which, by the way, you know he's watching her all the time and masturbating inside that little shed of his. He says, like, he's like, Laura, I can see you. I can be your eyes and tell you where to shoot your gun. And then she fashions together this makeshift weapon. I think it's like a nail gun with a screwdriver jammed in it with a piece of metal on top. I I don't know. I have no idea what it is either. I, I I was really trying to put it together. It was like, what is this device for? Is she MacGyvering two things together? I have no answers here either. It doesn't make any sense. So Bryce has her eyes and he tells Laura where to shoot when bad guys are around. We then cut to Hillary, her man butler. He shows up with a shotgun and just starts blasting away at these intruders because Hillary, again, a man, is not shy about taking the life of another human being. No, I mean, he's, you know, I learned it from you, mom. Uh, like, <laughs> he's seen Laura Croft murder willy-nilly, so he has to get cool with it after a while. I want to wet my beak as well. You can't have all the fun. She she makes her way to a motorcycle and, and punches a guy in the face with the back tire in one uh, super fancy superhero move. Yeah, it's like that scene in Mission Impossible 2, you know, and they like her like doing wheelies on the front wheel. Do you think that henchman just in his day-to-day -day life ever considered the fact that this is how he would die? Like being hit by the back wheel of a motorcycle inside of an English manor. The gypsy at the carnival told him like, I see rubble in your future. Stay away from rubble. You're not going to believe what that broad of there said. She said, I'm going to get killed by this lady on a motorcycle they want a wheelie on the front wheel spinning around and smashing me in the head. That was the worst $5 I ever spent. So, but meanwhile, while she's fucking around with the motorcycle in the basement, the bad guys get the, the headpiece the staff are on, just take off. And, uh, like, as she's chasing after them and realizing that the thing is gone and, and they've, they've departed as well, Hillary surprises her uh, from behind and she spins on him and just shoots. Right. She almost murders her manservant. Right, but he knows 
not to back talk because you know when she's like sorry about almost murdering you there hillary he's like no it's fine it's i like it miss croft lady croft please don't hit me that's because Uh, he has no skills to go get employment anywhere else i mean he's only good at three things kissing her ass disposing of bodies you know it's only two things yeah well it's inkland he she probably owns him oh i don't know how it works over there chad but uh, i look all the butlers i've ever seen were english yes except for benson yeah but he was a government employee yeah and he got his own show good for him manfred there's a very brief scene where manfred is meditating or something just you know listening to some dalai lama lectures and somebody just comes in it's like hey we got we got this thing he's like right on end of scene yeah <laughs> i was like all right fair enough right. you did what i told you to do good 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 job guys chalk one up for us i guess right on everyone there's some fruit roll-ups in the pantry everybody gets one just one I don't have enough for everybody to get too. No, that juicy juice is not for you. <laughs> I said fruit roll-ups. I didn't say juicy juice. Back at Croft Manor, the UPS guy shows up the next day, and we see Bryce. <laughs> we see Bryce and Hillary cleaning up all this broken glass with shovels and a wheelbarrow. And you know that they were scraping up bullet casings and blood and brains and urine <laughs> and feces and human flesh and the like. Why isn't Laura mm-hmm. Croft down there helping to clean this up? She may help to make the mess. She's such an asshole. Yeah, probably because they were like, hey, Lady Croft, are you going to? No, the answer's no. Yeah, she was just like, really, would you like the other one to be cleaning up your body as well? <laughs> right, get the fuck to work. But yeah, the UPS guy shows up and like the place is, is, is uh, in tatters. And the joke is like Laura Croft finally comes down the stairs at the crack of noon while they've been working all day. Yeah, cleaning up corpses. Shovelfuls of viscera. Yes. And she says, uh, I woke up today and I hated everything. Including you and you. And you're all stupid. So ha and so he's like hey we've got a letter you know we had a bet at the office (laughs) whether or not you be here looks like i lost (laughs) right and it's just this is the stupidest shit in the movie chad because it's a her father sent her a back to the future 2 letter Uh uh-huh like across time where it was like on this day go take this letter to croft manor <laughs> and it's wait it gets dumber <laughs> because then it's just a poem from her father uh-huh. that's a, a william blake poem so then that leads her to a <sighs> book of poetry <laughs> of william blake Inside the back of the book, there's this all-seeing eye thing again. So she whips out the knife that we know she has on her all the time. Look, sorry, Susan. It was one date. And then, because that's the life she leads and the kind of person she is to be armed all the time. And it's another fucking letter from her father. (laughs) (laughs) Like, why not make this letter that you hid in the book the letter that you sent her across time? She's got to work for it, man. I guess. And so then she starts reading the letter and John Voigt is superimposed to narrate this. Uh-huh. Where he drops, if I may, Chad, let me try to do a synopsis of this exposition. Please. 
So he says the triangle is the something of light and it controls time and it came from a meteor and she has to destroy both halves because it destroyed the temple where the ancient people who worship it, worshipped it, uh, they, like got on the bad side of it or something. But also, Chad, there are some Illuminati and they want it too. And you have to w- find one piece at a certain time before the other celestial deadline, which isn't the later deadline of the planetary alignment but it's a pre-planetary alignment thing and who gives a shit you that that was perfect i mean that explained it exactly right (laughs) yeah (laughs) this i i think i hate this movie it's all right so after john the john voight ghost is like you know see you later laura bryce then rightfully asks like because he basically tells her you need to find the the part of it in uh cambodia yeah but during the during the narration papa croft he says you know like yeah you gotta go and find where this flowering jasmine grows because it's the only place on earth where this specific type of jasmine flowers and there you're gonna find the entrance to the tomb that's the location of the first half of the hidden triangle and i got a few questions for you number one is this the only place that this special jasmine grows really this is uh ridiculous because every time you see jasmine it's like oh a tomb (laughs) is it the clue what if you go into a florist number two if this is the only place that it grows and we know it's in cambodia how do you find this one specific place when there are so many places in Cambodia. (laughs) I think I know the answer to this, Chad, but go on, please. Well, the the answer, (laughs) I can't even get it out. (laughs) Is to look anywhere in Cambodia. Right. And there's a much better chance that you're going to find it. Uh Uh-huh. I can't believe we made the same joke at two different times. I know. If you've never seen The Zero Effect, um, I highly recommend it. It's a terrible movie that has some incredibly great moments in it. Number three, why is she looking for this triangle? I don't care. Number four, Uh what does the triangle do exactly? Again, Mm. don't worry about answering it. It, it, Everything about this is like, you've got to go to do the and the what the. Like, why? Do, oh, no. You ask too many questions yeah speaking of the biggest shrug of this movie she there bryce is like so how are you gonna get to cambodia and find this thing in 15 hours and she's like i'm calling in a favor hold on i i want to pump the brakes here assuming that laura croft is in london and again i don't know where she is the majority of the time of this movie cambodia is six thousand miles away flying there would take nine to ten hours at this point from wheels up This defies all logic that she would be able to do this in 15 hours. It's not possible. Right. And in her calling in a favor is just a quick insert of a picture of her and a bunch of other rich assholes in camo makeup holding guns probably stirring up some shit in some other foreign countries so we don't meet any of these people no it's just a picture and then we cut to them dropping her in a jeep from an airplane well in the picture in the background if you look closely you do see daniel craig with a lot of black mud on his face not enough to raise an eyebrow of is he in blackface but it's enough to make it incredibly difficult to realize hey that's daniel craig in there this is such a real like hey don't worry about it 
kind of scenario it, the, one of the most egregious examples i think where it's just like how are we gonna bend the laws of space and time i'll make a phone call <laughs> drop jeep she's falling out of the sky in this jeep and there's like three giant parachutes you know gently gliding her down to the land of cambodia maybe hawaii hell it might be isla nubar for all we know I, 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 I don't know where she's going yeah it's somewhere in cambodia or something this would all be solved just by putting geographic titles on the screen tell me where we are look they could only afford the venice italy font <laughs> So you see that a couple of times, but anywhere else they go, it's like, oh, we just, we ran out of money. After this Jeep lands, one would expect to see Lara Croft driving around in the Jeep, but that doesn't happen. Instead, we see her on the top of some ancient ruins in the jungle, and Lara Croft is looking around using some binoculars. She's sort of... Uh, taking in the lay of the land. And it's at this point that the movie really feels like a video game. She sees a temple that has a stone face carved into it. There are ropes attached to this face. Each of the ropes is tethered down to where there are 20 people per rope, just giving it a real heave ho to try to pull down the face of this temple. And all these people look like natives to whatever country we're in. Again, we don't know. And then mixed among them are modern day mercenaries, like the ones that shot up Lara Croft's house. And then laying on a red pillowed couch out in the dirt <laughs> is, is our bad guy, Manfred. He looks like the evil twin of Crocodile Dundee. Like all of his clothes are black and he's wearing this pocketed light colored vest and his sleeves are rolled up. If you told me he was playing like some shitty version of the devil, like from Angel Heart or something, right. it would be just as accurate. So while he's hilariously just sitting around voguing, yeah. um, she sees uh, West is there, Daniel Craig. When she says, what are you doing here? Which is a great question. Also, who are you? What is your backstory? What is your relationship with other characters in this film? What's your role in the plot of this movie? How do you have the same last name as the movie screenwriter and director? And there are no answers to any of that, as per usual with uh, Laura Croft Tomb Raider. Manfred gets all pissy about the fact he's like, it's 72 minutes till the next alignment. So Daniel Craig is like, all right, everyone, it's time we really start putting our backs into it. Here, I'll, uh, I'll grab a rope, too, and just start pulling like a big strapping American does. All right. So after Daniel Craig starts uh, yanking on a rope, too, uh, Laura has been circumventing or circumnavigating the ruins and, and goes around from, like, where they're pulling at the front door and finds this kind of back door in and uh, is <laughs> kind of kind of lured there by the uh the pied piper strains of crazy town's butterflies <laughs> is what was in my head the whole time because right. there's butterflies like flying all around the door in a very video game move of like hey you should go in here and the whole, <laughs> the whole all i can hear is come my lady come come my lady you're my butterfly <laughs> sugar baby and i am not proud of that chad <laughs> that is no that is no kind of life to lead during this scene, there's a little girl that is giggling and appears to be guiding Lara Croft to, you know, kind of the entrance of this tomb. And my question for you is, is this little girl like a ghost? Yeah, like we are about two minutes away from this movie just being straight up magic. 
And this is the, I, I guess, the foreshadowing of that, of like, ooh, here's this esoteric little girl. Yeah, but why? I mean, the Illuminati is up to no good, then she's here, then there's a ghost girl, and then the, the ghost girl shows up later. It, it, like, none of this matters, and it, and it doesn't make any sense, and it shouldn't be in this movie. But one of my favorite moments, though, is when you have that moment where a lot of the locals and whatnot, that when they finally pull down the, the wall of the temple... And everybody's like celebrating because they busted down the wall of this ancient sacred temple. And I kind of wonder if like the next day the villagers are all like waking up hungover like we did what? That was our one tourist attraction was the temple. Shit. <laughs> After they tear it down, Manfred, you know, our villain and Daniel Craig and the assistant, Mr. Pims, they're all walking into the entrance of the tomb that they've recently ripped down. And then one of them says like, Hey, have any of you guys seen Lara Croft? Which don't you think somebody would mention that if she showed up? It's not the kind of thing you forget or keep secret. You would think that would have come up in conversation, but also the conversations being had here are in exchange like Manfred saying, into the belly of the beast. And Daniel Craig saying, and out of the demon's ass. And you're like, what are you even talking about in this movie? Daniel Craig says, that Laura Croft is overrated. She's in it for the glory Whereas I'm in it for the money. That's so close to a Christian Grey. <laughs> I'm just saying. I only have like two voices. So yeah, Laura keeps following this creepy girl, like uh, the little Wednesday Adams of Cambodia through this temple. And the girl just creepily points to a doorway with more crazy town butterflies dancing around it and better yet there are also butterflies a creepy girl and jasmine flowers we only need one of these three things to indicate <laughs> her path <laughs> Lara Croft goes up to the front of the tube and then she snaps a piece of the jasmine off the vine which opens a sinkhole under her feet and she falls like about a thousand feet at a speed that's half that of normal gravity and the jasmine is connected to a booby trap connected to the ground in the sand uh, your guess is as good as mine on that one chad that seemed real dumb to me too Lara croft stops her marginally slow descent by grabbing a random vine before she hits the ground and it's pretty partially mostly not very thrilling at all the, the the whole scene looks cheap back to a little fan fiction there is a fun movie where this movie has the tone of one of those uh brendan Fraser mummy movies and it's actually a good time i thought if this movie took on sort of the wacky goofballness of like a jackie chan film it could mm -hmm. be a hell of a lot of fun yeah and there are moments where you know as much as i'm joking about her being a psychopath in this movie also not really joking that she's a psychopath in this movie there are moments where angelina jolie will like give a smile or something like that where it's like oh she's just a superhero character having fun although i you know i'm one of those people i saw the the most recent reboot and uh and i thought it was fine i didn't even know that that movie had happened until you mentioned it during one of our reviews of another shitty movie in this next scene laura croft is in this tomb and this looks like a video game level there are statues of animals there's light reflecting from the sky all over the place to indicate where you should go explore this tomb is beaming with streams of illumination throughout the entire tomb so of course Lara Croft breaks out an orange flashlight to add no measurable improved levels of visibility it, <laughs> yeah thank god she had it it would be like if you went to the beach on a day where there isn't a cloud in the sky at noon and you just decided to 
fire up a lantern to help your buddy look for his keys in the sand. <laughs> right. Like a coal lantern. Like, <laughs> I'll stand over ye. Sift through the sand. I'll light you away. Get the hell out of here. She is kind of up top and, and Sir, uh, <laughs> Sir Jorah. Manfred's people are coming in uh, on the downstairs. And there's a big, like, popomatic bubble thing in the middle of the floor. One of my favorite lines in this dumb movie is when Manfred is like, you know, hey, we've got to find the, the place for the key. And he says, remember, what you're looking for is hidden in both space and time. What does that mean? I, I have no idea. It was, it was one of those things of like, okay, so what, do should we wait for a thing to appear? What does this even mean? The the one redeeming factor of this scene, though, is we see that there are all these cool monkey statues yeah. lying in the, the place. And to the point where Wes goes up and, like, taps on one, like, boy, look at these things. It'd be something if they came to life and attacked us. <laughs> and I was like, oh, those monkeys are going to give those guys what for? And that makes me happy, Chad. And in the center of the tomb, there is this multi-armed golden statue at the top of a staircase. And the statue has this glass orb belly that's full of green liquid and then each of the arms has a sword in its hand and and it all feels very video gamey it's you know you're like yeah this this seems like something i would be playing in a game during this scene manfred yells out at daniel craig he's like you have two minutes to figure it out and I'm like, shit, I don't even know what's going on in this movie. I don't know he's got to figure out. He's got two minutes to do it. Like, good luck. And then Daniel Craig says, hey, take the swords and put them in these holes, guys. And so the henchmen do as they are ordered by his terrible American accent. And meanwhile, upstairs, Laura is reading a poem about, like, on the walls about, like, uh, something about heaven's gifts and being in hell and some shit. And she just happens, all of this is happenstance. Like, she doesn't really figure anything out. She just turns slightly to her left and she sees a big giant mobile spinning between her and the the statue, what has all the, uh, the swords. And it kind of clicks in a way so that it looks like an eye. So it's the statue looking towards her at the this thing that seems to be a clue because it's a big triangle carved into the wall there's no reason for her to conclude that one location to plug in this key is better than another hell there may be multiple locations throughout this tomb for all she knows and if the point is to stop all this from happening if they just turn the key in the wrong thing Hey, you got 5,000 years to figure it out. Lara Croft screams out, stop! And then all the mercenaries <laughs> start- respond to that? You don't have a response? No, because I don't care. I just, I, I want someone to tell me that that's not true. That this movie could have ended right here and she just didn't think of it. Do you know where this movie could have ended at any point when you just turn it off and walk away? <laughs> and we watched it twice. I know. Laura screams out, stop! And then all the mercenaries start shooting at her. Who trained them? And then Laura Croft says, you're doing it wrong! And Manfred's like, you're full of shit! And Laura Croft says, am I? And then Manfred says, yeah, you know, on second thought, maybe you're right. So with like 12 seconds of debate, he just tosses the ancient key up to Laura Croft and she plugs it into her hole at the exact moment that the planets aligned the first time they align. I, I hate this movie. And then, <laughs> and then 
plugging it in, this battering ram is released and it starts swinging down towards the glass belly of the multi-armed idol that is contained with green liquid out of nowhere this is one of one of them uh lines that was a head scratcher for me where manfred then says as he sees laura croft like riding the log and when the tip of the log finally pierces the big green bowl and a bunch of water comes out and then bright light comes out of it and then manfred says yes fire and water and i'm like what what are you talking about what fire I don't even know what what's happening here. No, nobody does. It- and then, <laughs> then a bunch of CGI sewage raises up half the triangle out of the ground, and Laura swings by on her log that she's been riding and just goes yoink and grabs it right before Manfred can. Laura has half the triangle. Right. She now has half the triangle, and then the sewage shit starts climbing the monkey statues and bringing them to life. And there's a flying monkey statue that's in there. And this is the scene that's supposed <laughs> to be the homage to Harryhausen. Everybody just starts beating up and shooting these, you know, lumbering monkey statues. Some of the monkey statues have swords and weaponry. And then there is this flying monkey statue that looks like it's out of the Wizard of Oz. And nobody important gets killed or injured during this scene. It's just a bunch of nameless mercenaries. Even still through all this, like the mercenaries more than hold their own. Like they kind of fuck up the monkey statues, which is not the side that I was rooting for. No, I'm team monkey (laughs) statues all the way i want these monkey (laughs) statues to make their way out of the tomb and just conquer earth i for one welcome our monkey statue overlords (laughs) and then there's a a ripoff of that indiana jones gag where like a monkey statue comes up on laura croft and it has a sword and it's about to raise it above its head and and uh, come down with it and she just pulls out a gun and shoots the monkey statue in the face it's like eh, all right fine that's kind of a bummer to remind me of a movie that you're both ripping off it is a million times better than this I like that Lara Croft has just an unlimited, never-ending barrage of ammunition to just fire into these statues. This is a whole lot of kind of gun porn as well. So if I if I may jump ahead from all this stupidity. The end roll credits. You know what, Bo? What's coming up on the next episode of Pick 6 Movies? <laughs> Not a better movie, quite frankly. Anyway, so... Uh, she has the triangle and then the super big Shiva statue comes to life. It force grabs the swords out of the ground and then Lord just starts shooting all its faces and then she kicks or something the log into the statue and then gets grabbed by a stone griffin as she's running away from everything and the stone griffin explodes on contact with reality, I guess. Uh, that's it. That's our big tomb adventure. Laura is then kind of chased by west to the edge of a waterfall where laura's like i didn't kill my wife you're reading my notes but continue please she says what are you gonna do shoot me and he's like uh the fall probably kill you i swear to god it's you were reading my notes go on this is so weird i'm gonna tell that story to my good friend paul newman when i'm on the the set of road to perdition so i paul i said to Angelina Jolie, the fall will probably kill you. Shut of up! Movie. Oh, Shut yes, up! Would you- Shut your damn mouth! <laughs> I'm gonna beat James Bond one day. Sure you are, kid. Come over here right. and play the piano. Oh, you don't know how to play? That's right. Get the hell out of here. 
she jumps off the waterfall and then she dives off the waterfall. How did she know that that water was deep enough to handle a dive from that height? She didn't. Right. It probably wasn't. And then she just commanded it because she's Lady Lana Croft. Like, be deeper. And it was. She then paddles on a kayak or something. Yeah, through a trash pond in Cambodia. (laughs) Or wherever. It's just some eastern locale. And just shows up to be like, um, I need to make a phone call. Uh, I need to get out of this shithole as quickly as possible, please. And... (laughs) So she ends up calling Manfred first, who is getting some kind of like Shih Tzu massage. Dude, he's getting a foot massage. And it's not that someone is massaging his feet. It's that someone is using their feet to walk on his back with their feet. When you see those people who are being, in quote, massaged by grabbing their arm and putting your foot in the crook of their armpit and just yanking on their arm to open up them joints or something, it's like, no, that is not therapeutic. That is, that's torture. So she is uh, talking to Manfred uh, while he's getting this massage and he says, you should come and meet me in Venice. And she says, oh, you're just going to kill me. And he's like, oh, you put it so harshly. And then uh, she's like, well, maybe I'll show up. Maybe I won't. He's like, well, maybe I'll be there. Maybe I won't. And then they hang up and then he tells the masseuse harder. Yeah. I don't know if he was, (laughs) I don't know if that was an adjective or a command. (laughs) (laughs) Lara Croft calls up Bryce and we find out that there is a final alignment of the planets good god that's gonna happen (laughs) in 66 hours and 53 minutes Uh uh-huh there are multiple alignments of the planets every 5,000 years did they explain this to us kind of sorta that was a, like when john voight did his info dump there was a little something about this it i mean god bless you for putting it all together in a way that makes any kind of sense but but she tells bryce and i guess hillary to go to venice Lara croft is in cambodia venice is five thousand seven hundred miles away that would yeah. take seven to eight hours to fly there on a plane wheels up That's a full day of travel. So she's got one and a half days to find the second piece of this triangle and do whatever the filmmakers concocted as a poor excuse of a plot and accompanying dialogue. Like, none of this makes sense. Why do you set a clock against a deadline and just... You make this real straightforward about her trying to find a tomb and there's another Tomb Raider maybe that's a competitor. Like, you can keep all that stuff, but just get rid of all this Illuminati bullshit and it, it's just too much. It's all too much. You're over-explaining. It's like when you catch a six-year-old in a lie and they just start elaborating, you know? You're like, hey, did you, did you break that vase? What the, what what vase are you talking about? My, You know what? My friends, my friends were here, not Brian. But, just a yes or no did you break the vase well brian brian was here but then he left because his mom called and then adam and um is dan did brian break the vase are you telling me brian broke a, the vase adam adam and dan well they came over because they had to finish their homework and they wanted something to eat and i told them we can't have snacks unless my mom gets home but i told them i had snacks in my backpack and so um Oh, God. You know what? I hated the vase anyway. Just shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> so yeah, she goes after this conversation. But but we have a clock set. So it's important that Lara Croft gets off her ass and gets to Venice. 
But first, she's gonna take a little time out to go hang out with a monk and meditate. Right, she's eat, pray, loving it up in Cambodia, where the dude's just like, hey, it's uh, you should drink and rest some. You ever tried ayahuasca? It really fucks you up. There, speaking of, there is a point where this movie just becomes altered states for a minute, and it was maybe my favorite thing in the movie. Uh, he's like, did you find what you're looking for? And uh, and she's like, I did. And he's like, that is bad. And she's like, but I'm going to help the world. And he's like, that is good. And <laughs> and it, then he says, like, the world may be safer because she's, like, alive and kicking. And she's like, you knew my father? And he's like, I guess so. I did. Yes, I knew your father. Here, drink this stuff. It's the good shit. It's the icky sticky. And she she drinks it down and uh, he's like, it tastes like shit, but take off your you know armband and she's like oh my skin is healed and again it's one of those moments of like when did her skin get hurt it doesn't matter chad but it, it, again one of those things of like we're just dealing with magic in this movie and and it's so casual it's not like you build up to it. it's just like oh by the way there's magic juice that can heal you now it's like well where did this come from why isn't this on the market i got a bad need that this would be great for did you ever in your life feel like you would see a movie like this and think to yourself you know what's a good movie the golden child the the golden child is a better movie yes and it's it's a it deals with a hell of a lot of the same topics and themes and it's yeah. much much better because it has yes. randall tex cobb in it giggling at a dancing pepsi can and also the you know i want the knife like the, that's the classic <laughs> give me the knife please that's fantastic that's such a good movie this movie is not good no so (laughs) laura has teleported to venice yes she literally teleports to venice she and manfred have finally come face to face in uh illuminati of some kind yeah and so she throws, she's like, this is the Illuminati. And he's like, bullshit. And she spins around and throws a knife at an eye. It's like the all seeing eye. And I still, again, don't understand what the Illuminati have to do with any of this. I Dude, I don't know, man. Let me ask you another question about this scene then, Chad. You know, Manfred is like, you know, we should be partners, Laura. She is leaning on a chair saying, who sits here? And I'm like, is that a royal chair? What is happening here? Is it a groom's chair? Is it a bride's chair? Is it like a specific queen's chair? I don't like, is it the head of the Illuminati's chair? Well, well, it's a well-known fact, Sonny Jim. There is a secret society of the five wealthiest people in the world known as the Pentaverate who run everything, including newspapers. And they meet triannually in a secret country mansion in Colorado known as the Meadows. It includes the Queen, the Vatican, the Gettys, the Rothschilds, and Colonel Sanders before he went tits up. Colonel Sanders, Dad. I hated the Colonel with his wee beady eyes and that <laughs> smug look on his face. Oh, you're going to buy my chicken. They put a secret ingredient <laughs> that makes you crave it fortnightly. Smart ass. <laughs> you know, that's not a great movie, but I love that movie. <laughs> 
it's like uh that that's like summer school for me where like i know objectively this is not a great movie but i love this movie when i think of the illuminati i always think of the pentaveret the pentaveret is my favorite thing to say <laughs> pentaveret you gotta you you get to roll that r a little bit and that feels good i didn't anticipate getting to do that scene yeah you know happy accidents man after manfred gives her the spiel and she's keeps saying like yes but who sits here and finally she sits in this chair that is i still don't understand the significance of then he sits beside her and says well then i'll sit on god's right hand so to speak and she says you know uh, it's funny because that's where your father sat Yeah, this is real high school bullshit where he's like, you know, your father actually mentored me in the order. (gasps) (laughs) She's like, that's bullshit. You're a liar. You're a liar. You ain't fat. You ain't nothing. And (laughs) she says, my father didn't keep secrets. And and he's like, your father had a bunch of secrets. And she goes, yeah, but he didn't have secrets from me. And he says, Oh, especially from you. And she's like, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Then uh, he rubs a little salt (laughs) in that wound. Cause he says, I know what you want. You want a second chance with your father. Gross. And then, especially when it's John Boyd, mm, uh, he says once he has the triangle, he can give her her father back. What? Right. And and <laughs> my note here is, you know, this would be so much better if we ever saw an example of what the power of the triangle actually is. We, we don't. She turns her back on him as if to say, go ahead and kill me if you want. I bet you won't because you're stupid. And then he throws a knife at the eye also. And it's a real like Robin of Nottingham thing where it sticks right beside hers this movie is so derivative of so many other films let's keep trucking because we got a naked daniel craig in front of us hubba hubba where he's is a little something for the ladies finally and he's getting a shower and comes out uh when he hears a sound in his room and pulls a gun on the housekeeper who screams and throws a towel at him because he never bothered to uh, put clothes on think about that man you were in a hotel and you hear a little scuttle buttle and so you get out of the shower totally nude pick up your loaded gun go to the door of your hotel room and open it up to find a housekeeper bringing you extra towels nothing about that makes any sense at all unless you're just a nudist and you live your life wet and naked all the time and you got to kill that housekeeper at that point you can't have a witness walking around like that no 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 not at all either that or you invite her in and you take care of business so she knows to keep her mouth shut right make her fall in love with you that's a good move chad that's what i've done in the past man if the movie had suddenly become that (laughs) it would have been so much better it was just you know uh what what was that movie about the spies with uh, sigourney weaver like 34 charing cross road or something where it's just espionage between the sheets i felt like you were just describing the plot of made to order because i never saw that movie either yeah i didn't either it could be about spies i don't know i thought it was just about weirdos in hotels you know seducing maids and then murdering them i think you're thinking of noises off (laughs) (laughs) 
which I will reference as much as I can. After he pulls the gun on on her and closes the door because he was a real asshole about it, he sees uh, on the shower stall someone has written the word traitor, and then surprise, surprise, there's Laura Croft because she, she snuck in like a serial killer. I thought maybe she was the one who who made the scuttlebutt earlier, but then they chit chat, and then that scene ends. None of this is necessary in this movie. It's a waste of about two minutes of your time. They, you're right. They just chit chat and it all ends with her leaving and him saying, well, guess time for a cold shower. And you're like, what? You got a boater during that conversation? Like there was nothing sexy at all happening here. I have thought it was like, ew, gross. He's going to go jerk off in a hotel shower. <laughs> Laura then shows up at a hangar, like an airplane hangar, with her half of the triangle in quite the outfit, Chad. Yeah, it's a skin-tight white bodysuit, and she's wearing her black sunglasses. And everybody gets on helicopters, including the head of the Illuminati, the old guy from the beginning, and a bunch of henchmen. And for some unnecessary reason, Bryce is there. So you know what? It's time to put this movie to bed. Let's wrap this up. Yes. Manfred tells the old Illuminati leader um, as they're flying away on these helicopters that they have to walk the last hour of their journey to this ruined city because helicopters won't fly there as it is, quote, a dead zone. That is Mm -hmm. some real movie science mumbo jumbo bullshit i don't think this is any more egregious than the trip to cambodia where you were dropped out of a plane by a mysterious military operation you're saying that there is a circular region where electronics don't work including internal combustion engines internet just basic conduction of electricity stop it please could we not for one moment this is also the scene where bryce who is on the helicopter as well says me ass fell asleep oh right down the right cheek eh (laughs) it's like oh man this is terrible and everything about this movie sucks they then they land everyone's bundled up except for laura who leaves her coat open because of boobs right this is where we do actually get a reference point because we find out that they're in siberia uh here and everybody's speaking russian right so she's making laura's making nice with the locals and bryce buys a bunch of dogs from him by giving like why does he have american money on him just keep going it doesn't matter it's so stupid so then the illuminati boys show up in amphibious vehicles and then we get another creepy girl at the camp who says you know i know about your father don't go to the crater and she's like little girl how do you know that and then she some dogs bark ominously in slow motion and when laura looks back from seeing the slow motion dogs the girl is gone Ooh. it doesn't make any sense it it none of it matters and then she sees a jasmine flower because again we gotta have four different reasons why she goes to this crater this is oh it's so sloppy so then they take the amphibious vehicles to said crater where we get the uh you know bryce on his laptop uh and the it just starts screwing up and it's like right we're in the dead zone and no electronics work here so bryce is now especially useless how does anybody leave the dead zone without visible cancerous tumors just dangling from their skin is a mystery to me 
Right. Because what we're saying is this is a highly radioactive location. Uh, I'm currently watching the series Chernobyl and it is horrifying and also way more entertaining than this. All the bad guys take the dog sleds into these ice tunnels where we get the final video game level of our movie. And Lara Croft rings this bell and the tone resonates throughout the ice caves causing the ice doors to explode open. And our team of explorers walk into this ice cave and it's basically a steampunk planetarium. A steam wait, a steampunk planetarium if it mated with one of those octopus rides from a carnival. Okay, that's fair enough. Put a fine point on it if you really need a visual and you don't want to see this movie, which please don't ever. Um yeah. once they're inside, there is this fairy-like light weaving in and out of the metal spheres that represent the planets again you're just like what is going on here well these are referred to chad as a time storm and that brings me to my quiz for the evening oh yes what is worse than a time storm all of these options save for one are the titles of sci-fi original films okay avalanche sharks better or worse than a time storm yes worse than a time storm christmas ice catastrophe that's better than ice storm i'll take an ice storm over that go mind storm i'm taking a mind storm a lava lantula time storm ice twisters ice twisters an ice quake ice quake ghost quakes time storm i'm not messing with the supernatural (laughs) that's smart fire twister oh shit time storm sky sharks time storm sharknados sharknado clown nados oh fuck time storm <laughs> stone nados stone uh, stone nado sand sharks mm, sand sharks and finally the 12 disasters of christmas god no i'm taking a time storm over that all right 10 is passing you got 11 yes <laughs> i'm taking that to the dmv tomorrow i'm getting my driver's license back <laughs> yeah that's how it works in the next scene someone lets two of the sled dogs loose and one of them jumps through this floating orb of life and the dog's fur and skin are stripped off its body and then the muscles are removed just leaving bones and then the dog exits the orb of light and it's back to normal is that's what happens in a time storm (laughs) well this time it did because later when Laura Croft reaches her stupid hand into it and don't nothing happen. <laughs> Why are we asking these questions, many might ask. And to those, I would say, I, I have no answer to that. Outside in the universe at large, the planets in the solar system align for the second or third or fourth time in this movie. I quit paying attention. And so our giant steampunk version of the solar system starts moving around in time with gears and doodads. And then Daniel Craig says... 50 bucks says the triangle piece is inside the sun. And so he jumps up and starts climbing outside this glowing, you know, center orb that is the sun inside of this contraption. And Lara Croft and some henchmen start climbing up all over the arms of this swinging monstrosity above the bubbling water down below. This whole thing looks like the semi-final level on the ABC game show Wipeout. <laughs> yeah, if there were uh, an American gladiator uh, climbing around there, I wouldn't have been surprised. Not at all. The henchmen get knocked off one by one as this contraption spins around and then stunt doubles of Daniel Craig and Angelina Jolie hop all over this rotating metal science experiment of the planets. And then Lara Croft 
gets the medallion key from Daniel Craig and she plugs it into the sun and then she gets zapped into the middle of the orb. Then almost immediately she gets spit back out like she's on the ass end of that kid's closet in Poltergeist. And then ta-da, she has the second half of the triangle from inside the giant sunball. Bo, question for you, what is going on in this movie? <laughs> I have no answers once more, Jed. And I mean, she it's just as you described. She gets sucked into the thing. She gets spit out. She has the thing in her hand. And then there's a scene coming up in a minute where she has this whole moment with John Voight that should have been the scene inside the bubble here when she went in to get the thing. I like the next scene where the head Illuminati guy gets up and he gives this incredibly prolonged speech that just goes on forever. He's like, we the recipients of these two halves, the left half on the left and the right one on the right. We will put them together, left and right, and we will control the universe and all time being able to go both backward to the past and forward to the future, enabling us to return to both past and future. Just to review, for those who have, may have come in late to the theater or are lost, let me explain what is going on. And then Manfred just is like, shoot this guy. And they just mow down the head Illuminati guy. And yeah. then Manfred's like, out of the way, shithead. And he picks up the two triangle pieces and smacks them together and nothing happens. And then Daniel Craig's like, not quite what you hoped for, Mr. Manfred. You're awful. <laughs> It's a bad American accent. And then Manfred, here's one I want you to explain to me. Manfred then says, wait a second, you're the daughter of a genius. Let me test my theory. And then throws a knife at West who falls into the water. Daniel Craig goes down. Right. So is his plan, I'm going to kill this guy that you've had a couple of scenes with and you're going to be so pissed that you're going to help me make the time thing work so you can bring him back to life. I, I mean, that's as good as anything, because when Daniel Craig falls into the water, he gets wrapped up into the gears of this machine like Kevin Bacon's penis in a boat propeller. And then <laughs> Lara, call back, Lara Croft dives into the water to save Daniel Craig. And underwater, she performs mouth to mouth resuscitation while Daniel Craig is trapped in the gears of this machine. I don't think she understands how mouth to mouth resuscitation works or is prioritizing. Get him out of those gears first. And then of he naturally dies because she's the shittiest EMT that ever showed up at the scene of an accident. <laughs> and she climbs out and is like, Oh, I guess it didn't work when I blew water into his lungs. I'd seen the movie, the abyss. I thought he could breathe it. Manfred's like, Hey, Laura Croft, why don't you go back and save your boyfriend? co-worker the guy you once knew maybe you had sex with him is that easy your brother wait that would be gross school chum how do you even know this guy and then there's a bunch of gibberish and bullshit about how Lara Koff could bring back her father or something something power of the sun gods who cares it feels like every third page of the script just fell out <laughs> what is this line speaking of where he says uh something about like i guess there'll be no more bubbles and i'm like what bubbles what the fuck are you talking about no anyway right it, it, 
to your point, it does feel at times like they just didn't bother to explain the line. So all of this falls totally flat. Let's make less sense of this scene if that's possible. And it is. She's like, okay, I actually know for no good reason how to find this thing. And so she gets a laser sight off of one of the soldier's guns and then shines it at a time storm and then throws the headpiece of the staff of raw into it where it comes apart and inside is a grain of sand question mark i don't know that because that's what she says like all the world in a grain of sand and she drops it on the triangle and then she and manfred are blown into the movie altered states for a second yes where they are just running up a pyramid or something yes and then laura uh the the triangle is floating at the top of this pyramid that they're running up and then laura gets the tip off and grabs the pyramid and then they're blown out of it yeah and it's here that angelina jolie as laura croft and john voigt as papa croft they exchange dialogue that as i mentioned earlier they wrote themselves and they have an on-screen chemistry that is really difficult to measure you can only get this kind of coldness between true family members (laughs) But we've gone a full episode with only one quiz, and it's about time that we had another one. In a little game I like to call, Who Has More Chemistry? I want you, Bo, to tell me who has more chemistry, Papa Croft and Lara Croft, or Mm -hmm. these famous on-screen couples, many of whom have appeared in an episode of Pick 6 Movies. Okay, I I love, love, Chad. I know you do. You're a romantic at heart. Here we go. Magic Mike and Paige in Magic Mike. Oof. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy, they're hard to just right off the top. Maybe the Crofts. I'm going to give it to the Crofts on this one. Anakin Skywalker and Padme in any Star Wars prequel movie. <gasps> Oof. Uh, yeah, the Crofts. Lois Lane and Clark Kent slash Superman in the Justice League movie. Oh, I thought original Superman. Then we had something. No. Mm, Justice League. Benicio Del Toro and Emily Blunt in The Wolfman. The Crofts. Christian Grey and Anastasia Steele in Fifty Shades of Grey. The Crofts. Jonathan Harker and Elisabetta in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, uh, Dracula. Lonnie Anderson and Burt Reynolds in Stroker Ace. I mean, there's a high degree of sexual assault (laughs) in that one. So I'm going to give it to the Crofts, where it's only implied sexual assault. What about Chris and Pat in It's Pat the Movie? Oh, they had more chemistry for sure. Sting and the Bride in uh, The Bride. I'm going to give it to the Bride, but that's because Sting has such a relationship with himself in that film that it kind of carries it. How about Arnold Schwarzenegger and Rita Wilson in Jingle All the Way? I forgot she was in that movie, so the Crofts. And lastly... Bo Ranstall and Chad Cooper as the host of Pick 6 Movies. Oh, it's us, for sure. (laughs) I mean, I'll take a victory lap on that any day. We've watched a lot of garbage. Uh, Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. Like, (laughs) boy, I'm going to reach the end of my days and look back at these hours, Chad. And I'm going to think it was all worth it every goddamn minute. Papa Croft tells Lara Croft to destroy the triangle. And then this dream sequence, I guess, ends. (laughs) If I may, he says, she's like, what? 
are you alive and he's like no you it's simply the intersection of my past and your present it flows through us it's around us (laughs) it's like this is all utter nonsense you didn't even bother it's staggering to me how dumb this is chad uh and she's like it's not fair we didn't have time and he's like right it's not fair fucking life's not fair get out there sack up you got a world to save (laughs) and so she hops out of the time storm and because she now has the triangle i guess this is the power in that the like she's basically quicksilver from those x-men movies right where everything moves super slow around her i guess and so the and, and she comes out of it at the instant that uh, Manfred is throwing the knife at Daniel Craig. So she turns it around so that it's facing Manfred and then shoots the triangle to blow it up. And that makes time move again or something. And then it the knife slams into Manfred's chest and down he goes. And immediately, all his lackeys are like, "What? He just gets stabbed? All right, later days, everybody. We're out of here. <laughs> We're still gonna get paid. I mean, I have direct deposit set up, right? I mean, how's this work? Like, he wasn't the guy ACHing, right? Because look, man, my my daughter's going to private school. That's the reason I'm doing this. And do I gotta apply for Cobra now? How does this work? What when, when the boss dies? How's that shit? I'll tell you what, we were all being sold a bill of goods. We were told we were all part of the company. At the end of the day, there was no infrastructure to this organization whatsoever. No HR, nobody doing any retirement investing. Look, we've all been taken for a ride, people, and it's a live and learn. It's a live and learn. That's what it is. The planets shift their alignment, which allows Lara Croft to kind of wrap up our movie for us. At this point, Manfred, in his state of stabbed injury tells Lara Croft that he was the one who killed her father which this is a twist we didn't see coming and it's a twist we did not need but just to prove his point he's like see I have this picture of Wonder Woman in a watch (laughs) she's like fuck you that's my old-timey Wonder Woman picture Daniel Craig comes down he's screaming like hey Laura what are you doing you know, it's it's time for us to get out of here, L- Laura. Right, and she's like, hey, how about you skip out of this movie? Just take everybody else with you, and it's me and Manfred uh, here at the end. And he's like, all right, bye, everybody. <laughs> and then we get to see something you normally don't get to see in most action movies, a man beating the shit out of a woman. Because these two go toe-to-toe. When you see this, that is the type of behavior that is best left to biographical motion pictures, you know, about mental, physical, or substance abuse. You normally do not get it in your PG-13 teenage geared action adventure film. So good for you, Lara Croft Tomb Raider, for breaking new ground in the genre of cinematic video game adaptations and including physical assault by a man against a woman. In fairness, she did stab him with a time knife. I don't know about you, Chad. Somebody stabbed me with a time knife. All bets are off. I'll I'll punch a woman in the face. She stops the flow of time to stab me in the chest. <laughs> Manfred, during this this battle, he picks up his time knife uh, to kill Lara Croft, one presumes. But then she starts beating the shit out of him. And then she gives him a headbutt and a judo chop to the neck. And, you know, the audience jumps to their feet. To beat the traffic, yeah. 
They're like, hey, let's get out of here. After she headbutts him and judo chops him to the neck, Lara Croft reaches in, grabs the pocket watch back, and all of this is happening while like lightning bolts are firing around this oversized steampunk solar system as it crumbles piece by piece down into the bubbling water below. And then Lara Croft just runs off in slow motion with her very large breast bouncing up and down. It is one of the not few moments but it's one of the moments in the movie where it's like man there's a lot of jiggle in this scene and yeah you get it not once not twice but thrice that you see her bouncing in slow motion as she runs away from the exploding metal swirling planet orbs yeah it really is something (laughs) and by something i mean incredibly exploitative (laughs) it completely is and then and then Lara croft in her soaking wet tank top remember she was underwater for a while and her tight tight shorts she then barefoot skis down this frozen cave tunnel being pulled by a team of snow dogs which I have not seen this type of gratuitous, gleeful snow skiing since we saw Jim Carrey's Grinch triumphantly make his way down Mount Crumpet to Whoville with Max in the lead and Cindy Lou Who at the reins. Bitchin'! (laughs) My alternate here is it looks like this was designed alongside any of the Shoemaker Batman movies. Yes. It is is that kind of production design, uh, by which I mean awful. And then we hard cut back to Croft Manor because there's no need to explain what happened to the 50 other people that were on site, including Daniel Craig or Bryce or anybody else that would have been involved in this overall expedition. Why did Bryce even go on this expedition? He did nothing other than talk about how his ass fell asleep. Yeah, what did Daniel Craig do other than get stabbed? When we already had the stakes of her father, like that that was the stakes enough. That's why she would have wanted the time thing. It, uh, stop it. So she shows up in this nice outfit that Hillary was trying to get her to dress in at the beginning of the movie. And he's like, oh, heavens to Betsy, you look so pretty. She's like, shut up, everybody. I'm going to the John Voight Memorial tent. Uh, So she does. And there's a a moment with the memorial and you see a butterfly fluttering away. Come, my lady. Come, come, my lady. And and that's kind of it. And she goes back inside and, and Bryce and Hillary are standing there with big shitting and grins on their face. And uh, Hillary is holding a silver tray with a towel on it. And you see that the robot from the beginning is back. And then Hillary pulls the cloth away from the tray. And it turns out her guns are on the tray. And then everybody smiles because we can get back to some violence. And that's what all these relationships are about. And the end. But what exactly happened in this movie? um so there was uh a triangle that that was made of stuff that fell out of the sky that if you put the two pieces of it together you could control time somehow and the illuminati wanted it and they hired uh manfred and he didn't know what to do so he had the good luck that laura croft showed up and was like hey i've got this thing and he was like hey that's the thing we need and then a bunch of stuff happened and then laura croft stabbed that nice man (laughs) This was a terrible movie. Here's the thing. It's not only stupid, it's kind of dull. 
Yes. And and that's the biggest crime of this is, you know, I mentioned the thing earlier about in the sequel, her punching a shark and riding it like a dolphin. That at least is something happening and, and goofy and kind of fun. There is none of that in this movie. Like it, uh, it takes itself a hair too seriously to really be silly in the way it needs to be uh, or, or kind of should be, I think. And yeah, it's, it's a real bummer because I think there is a decent Tomb Raider movie to be made. And to the credit of the remake or the reboot or whatever, um, the character is not objectified in anything uh, like the way that Angelina Jolie is in this film. So that's Lara Croft Tomb Raider. You know, uh, the first episode of this season. Boy, you know what? It's only uphill from there, right? <laughs> oh, Chad. Oh, fuck you. Uh, no, it it's getting worse before it gets better you know uh it's always darkest before the dawn because our next film and and look folks it is my pick you got you got complaints you send them my direction uh it is uve bowl's uh masterwork house of the dead uh which is of course based on the light gun video game house of the dead and you can tell that because the video game appears in the movie (laughs) (laughs) in a way that is way worse than you could imagine this is gonna be a long six weeks it's it's so bad these movies are so bad i'm sorry folks my my i i i don't sleep well at night sometimes thinking about how bad the movies i chose this season are (laughs) so come back next week um as we are continuing with episode two of this season game on Um, As always, like, rate, review, drop us a line, find us on social media. Uh, We love to hear from you. We will be back in one week's time to continue this 16-bit extravaganza of nonsensical garbage. (laughs) Uh, We call it life, Chad. It's just trash. (laughs) See you next time, everybody.